today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Using Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. That's channel and the number 10. Um, by going to audibletrial.com slash 10, you'll have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android device, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. In addition, if you want to help support the podcast, you can go to channel10podcast.com and whenever you order from Amazon, you can click on the Amazon link. There's a link at the top um, where you can click on an Amazon uh, portal and by going to Amazon and clicking that link, whatever you buy through Amazon will get a little kickback at no cost to you. So uh, you can show us support that way by showing love to channel10podcast.com. And with that, let's get into the show. We used to be like, see you there, Channel 10. And we used to think that people would catch on. <laughs> no, but like, if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever. <laughs> like, well, I didn't know that. Like I said, it was like Channel 50. Watch the channel, son. Hold up, on, man. Hold up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. Hold up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Well, what up, yeah? CNN, Network, Channel 10, it's on again, street niggas, it's grown men, bold face, get in your face, stay in place, yo, crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface, CNN, Network, Channel 10, it's on again, street niggas, it's grown men, bold face, get in your face, stay in place, yo, crime lace, cast more beef Scarface, yo, 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 it's the Channel 10 podcast, we're in the building once again. Again, on this very special episode, right now you're listening to the sound, this wonderful man's voice that you hear is the almighty AR, Arctic in the building. And I'm Singar Superior. And um, on this episode, in a little bit, we're going to have a very special guest by the name of Al Shipley, who is... um. Uh, I guess you can't really call him a Baltimore um, hip-hop journalist anymore. You have to just call him a music journalist because he's definitely in the game. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. Uh, uh, Vice Magazine, um, Rolling Stone, um, yeah. a whole bunch of other uh, websites and publications all throughout the web. Yeah, Complex's legacy goes deep, so it's... um. It's uh, dope that we have such an impressive um, individual for our first episode, but um, I guess before we we uh, get into the conversation for him, or while we wait for him to get ready and all that, um, what's been good with you, man? Oh, man, um, same as usual, man, uh, you know, trying to escape the heat as usual mm. uh, here in Oklahoma, uh, research and... Um, you know, uh, a rather um, interest, interesting day um, in that I've, be, I've been in uh, in contact kind of sort of with, with a Havoc from Mob Deep. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so he's trying to look for, um, for, for different artists to work with, hip-hop and R&B. And I randomly just uh, looked on his Twitter page. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to just look at the Twitter pages of uh, rappers. Pause. And 
and um, I see that you know he has these tweets for this email or whatever like that, uh, maybe four or five times over the course of maybe about you know three weeks or so. His last post was like sometime in July, and I'm looking at it. You know, I've, you know we've uh, we've documented my uh, you know working on demo and uh, a demo and an album and you know shipping that shopping that around, which I've been doing digitally and physically, and. I'm like, well, I'm not really trying to, you know, dip, mess with this. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, nothing's nothing's going to come of it. And it just kept messing with me. And I'm like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll just send him something. So I send him something. And then I fall asleep in my chair. And I wake up. And, you know, an hour later, um, I receive a response. And it says, dope. I like the, I like the direction you're going in. Mm. And, yeah, so I'm like... You know, I'm like, well, you know, this is, you know, pretty much my favorite producer of all time for me personally, uh, next to RZA, you know, um, saying this about me, and I don't really know what to say, so I'm just like, well, fuck it, I, I really can't, you know, I can't lose at, at this point, so I'm just like, oh, I appreciate that, would you be willing to work with me? Um, you know, some hours go past, I don't hear anything back. But, you know, there's always a catch to something, and I get this thing about, from a guy named Calvin, sure he's a nice guy, <laughs> about a Rock the Mic show, a Rock the Mic showcase in New York City, and, you know, he sends me the flyer, and he tells me to send him my number, you know, so we can, so he can call me and uh, t- tell me a bit more about it, um, and then right after that, about 45 minutes later to an hour, Havoc hits me back, and he's like, um, well, I should say that the guy Calvin, he told he 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 does mention the email that Havoc told him about about my music that I should check it out, and um, told him and Havoc told him to to me. So after I get the email from Calvin, I then I then get a, another email maybe 45 minutes to an hour later from Havoc saying that he's still trying to narrow narrow down things. Hmm. Um. Yeah, so he's all about his one his liners, I'm assuming. So um, I was trying to, you know, figure out what to, what to reply back to Havoc and to this Rock the Mic guy, but Havoc especially to see if I can keep something going with that, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, whether or not something comes from it, you know, directly, it's always good to foster and develop relationships in this game, especially with, you know, people who can mentor you or who you, like, look up to it. At the end of the day, it's still dope that, like, you know, somebody who's in your top two favorite producers of all time who produce, you know, one of your top five albums of all time, um, you know, reached back to you and gave you that type of feedback on your music. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I, st- I, still, I still can't, I'm still kind of just, like, in awe about it, man. Like, I, I remember... Um, I, I remember, you know, hearing the booming sounds of Hell on Earth from, you know, f- from the basement on Baker Street. I, I clearly remember it. Mm. And although I didn't know what I was, what I was listening to, you know, and, 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 you know, seeing God Part 3 on, you know, on the box and stuff like that. And, you know, really getting into the music, you know, after a while and just, you know, getting, getting this type of feedback. It's just it's, it's amazing. It wasn't just like, you know, dope. It was dope with an exclamation point. He was being exclamatory with his shit. Punctuated it. Yeah. So, I'm all for that. Um, it's really humbling, though. I, I can't lie, man, because, you know, I'm trying to trying to finish some stuff up. 
and the other day I was I was you know listening through everything and I was you know maybe I was overthinking I don't know but like certain things I was thinking about cutting back out pretty much you know probably you know putting me back down to maybe half an album mm. um, and everything so um, you know this is most definitely a boost in confidence that's what's good, man. Congratulations. It's not every day that uh, one of the greats, you know, you can just reach out to them and they reach back and, you know, they've actually listened to your stuff and, you know, gave it some consideration. Yeah, man. You know, if, um, you know, and I've been trying to make this rule for myself that, you know, if I do somehow, some way become like someone like him, I would try to make sure I will, you know, I, I would, I would try to give time to demos and people reaching out to me. Although I know that it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. You know, he even, he, he was honest and he said that he's trying to narrow things down. Yeah. Uh, whatever that means. So I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to have it in my head that I'll, I'll try to stick to that kind of formula that he has or something close to it. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, listening to people's demos is kind of hard. You remember when we used to go to those shows and, like, when you leave from them, you just get those collections of CDs? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I remember I remember one person in particular, and I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, he had a dealing with a really close promoter. I guess there's no point in trying, trying, to, trying to be uh, cryptic and... I'm and I really don't know his name, so never mind. But <laughs> but um, but yeah, I most definitely know what you're talking about. Um, you know, actually speaking of Mob Deep, uh, you know, remember remember our boy that we saw at the at the first uh, Mob Deep concert we went to. Oh yeah, Shooty on Duty. Yeah, shouts out to Shooty on Duty. Um, if you're if you're ever listening to this, uh, very you know dynamic personality. Yeah, man, we need to get him to do a uh, do an intro or some theme music for us that we can use sometimes. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, well, maybe. Well, you know, since we're um talking about this, maybe we should like have um a small like you know just a like going back way back about the worst the worst um situation we've been in when it come when it came to someone trying to to get us to listen to music. See, I already know what the worst one is. You remember this dude? His name was the one. <laughs> yeah. You remember yeah, him? I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, he used to be out in uh, Righteousstown Road Plaza giving out his CD or selling it or whatever. I think I still have it somewhere. And like the glue that he used to put the artwork on his CD was so thick that it wouldn't play in certain things. And like. It was like he was trying to look like a bone thug and rap like a bone thug, and he always stank. Like he smelled like just garbage and and feces, and like I would always see him at Town Road Plaza. I would see him at um, security. And the funny thing is, from my recollection, he could kind of rap, but his songs were just so horrible. And he would tell these stories about how he's from Chicago or whatever, and he's here doing this and that now. And then one day, I saw him on a bus stop on Greenspring Avenue with a backpack on, probably going to Pikesville High School or something like that. And I'm just, and, and like, this is before the, you know, times of the internet to where, you know, now it's a lot easier to um, expose liars. But, um, 
you know, back then it was just you saw somebody in the street and, you know, whatever they said, if it didn't add up, then you're like, okay. So, not that I really believed anything that he said in the first place, but um, that was just crazy. <laughs> We used to, yeah. um, we used to, we used to just listen to his CD and laugh. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, I, I think I remember laughing with you one, you know, a couple of times about that. Yeah, man, that was good times. <laughs> well, I think um, if I had to say my uh, my worst situation was when I was I was at security mall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And um, I was with um, a very close friend of mine. Actually, speaking of Bone Thugs, he's the re he's uh, you know I would I traded with him to get Busy Bone's first album. And we, me, him, and some other people, we went to Security Square Mall one time, and we were in the parking lot. I, guess, I think um, his mother dropped us off. We're at the parking lot, about to go in, and I don't even know this dude's name. He didn't even tell us his name. Uh. He just hello. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he just came up to us. And he was like, "Yo," and he just said, "Yo," and he just extends um, a plastic rack of nothing but CDs. And I honestly, for whatever reason, I honestly thought that he was trying to sell like blank CDs to us. <laughs> Which at the time, I actually I could have I don't know I, I could have used some, but. We were just looking at him. He was like, "Nah, man, I got my I got my mixtape coming out." Da 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 da. Um, you know, y'all gotta support me, man. You know, y'all some y'all some young dudes. You know, I'm sure y'all listen to hip hop because y'all black. He really said this. <laughs> and you know, you guys should listen to it. I'm like, all right, well, I'm like, hey, man, if, if you're if you're offering, I'll, I'll listen to it. I'll check it out. And he was like, oh, all right. And he just puts his hand up. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, why you putting your hand on? He's like, $5. And so, to make a long story short, I give him the $5 to get nothing but a CD that has nothing on, nothing written on it, nothing, nothing. It's just a CD, a blank CD, just a CD. And I go back and listen to it, and it's just terrible. And um. Um, I, I think I, I still do ha I still have that CD in the basement somewhere in my archives, oh. and I'm always surprised whenever I um I go back um you know I go through it and I listen to it again. Hey, we got we got to sit down and go through some of these CDs. Um, we have those and stuff throughout the years, but um, Al he just hit me he said he's ready whenever, so we'll wrap this part and we will um. Get back in just a second. Channel 10 podcast. We're in your area. Bow. Um, Channel 10. <laughs> Listen, for you, the listeners of the Channel 10 podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I've been using it for a while. I personally recommend you check out Ta-Nehisi Coates' new book that everybody's rant, uh, ranting and raving about. Um, you can listen to it directly from him. He's reading the book. It's not too long. If you like podcasts, you'll probably love the book. And you can check it out by going to audibletrial.com slash channel 10 and signing up for your free trial today. With that, let's get back to the show. Peace. 
call is now being recorded. It's the Channel 10 Podcast, myself, AR, and Singard Superior, and we have our special guest, Al Shipley, in the building. How's it going? Everything is going good, man. Um, and it's funny, uh, me and Singard, we were just talking, um, I was just like, man, it's uh, very fitting that our first guest would be someone who... Uh, you know, used to cover our music and, um, you know, blurbs and things like that across the Internet. So now it's kind of like we have the opportunity to uh, kind of do something similar with you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, it's fun, fun to talk to you guys, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess we were, um, sometimes, you know, we uh, get into conversations, and I guess just to start it off, um we uh sometimes we talk about Baltimore club music and we always think about um I think the Tough Breaks book that you were working on. Yeah. Um are you still working on that? Yeah, that's just slowly in progress. It's one of those things where I got so busy with different things that I'm kind of like you know, taking my time with it cuz I want it to be like really great when it's done. So I'm just kind of laying down all this groundwork of interviews and stuff and then kind of getting everything situated to actually, you know, put it together. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, um, so, uh, are you primarily working with DJ Booman? I'm um, on the book, or with other? Um... No, I mean, I've talked. To, I've talked to dozens of people. So, oh. I mean, like guys like him. I've talked. I have like hours of tape with Booman. I have hours of tape with Scotty B. You know, different people. Um, there are definitely people like that that have a lot to to really contribute to the story. Uh, um, but you know, it's definitely it's. Definitely not a focused on any one person or one scene or whatever. Okay. How how uh, complete would you say it is, or how complete are you in your research? Uh, it's still still a lot to do. I mean, it's one of those things where at at some point I'll kind of decide to stop, but mm-hmm. you, can, you can keep pulling the thread forever. You know, it's it's one of these things where it's decades of stories and music. So there's there, there's a point when I'll say, okay, I have enough that to me it would be you know, substantial, but, uh, but right now a lot of it's just kind of collecting the, uh, the information and, and, you know, just kind of figuring out how to, how to, how to fit things together. Okay. Well, you know, when, um, uh, going back to one of uh, your interviews that you had, um, uh, on Maryland morning and you were asked if, um, you know, like where does Baltimore club music start? And, of course, like with every, you know, genre, as we know, it's really murky and you really can't pinpoint it. And I was curious to know, um, you know, over, you know, since you've, uh, since time has passed a little bit, have you been able to pinpoint the start of club music a bit more now? I mean, there's definitely certain moments that are very interesting, like certain records where it's like, you know, Get the Hole was one of the first like records someone pressed in the city, mm-hmm. and there's things where like, you know, different people like, uh, uh, I think Scotty had a, had kind of a moment where he was starting to get calls from people, and they were just kind of calling it club music, and he hadn't heard it just called that before, and so there there are things like that, um, but it's definitely you know it's it's one of these things where a lot of it is just there was this explosion of house music and and dance music in the eighties kind of coming out of New York and Chicago. And so there was a point where it's like, you know, the difference between people spinning it in Baltimore and people making it in Baltimore. So that's, that's Mm. kind of the big thing is once people kind of got up the nerve to uh, make their own records and put those in the sets and make it popular, 
uh, along with you know whatever they were playing the mainstream stuff. That's that was the big thing. Hmm. Okay. What um because you've been like um you know such I guess like a fixture in the Baltimore scene for so long. Um, I guess what what sparked your interest in in um, in, in covering like the hip hop scene and, and the club scene and all that. I mean, for me, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, as as with any music fan, there's types of music I like, types of music I'm less interested in, and with hip hop, you know, there's so many different kinds of of, of rap being made these days uh, that you know, obviously, you pick and choose. You have your favorites and stuff, and there are scenes that you're not that into. But it's fun to cover a city because then you kind of get to see, you know, obviously, there's certain kinds of rap that gets made a lot in Baltimore, some less, but you really get a whole cornucopia of styles. So I feel like whatever whatever fan there is, there is someone making that kind of music in town who's probably mm. really good at it. So the great thing for me is just to like see the sheer variety and try and explain that to people. Because you know a lot of times people try to sell people on a city or a hip hop scene by kind of telling them it's a certain sound. When you know Baltimore, it's a blessing and a curse that you know it's really varied and there's a lot of people doing certain things really well. To me, one thing I like. I feel like I've noticed is that people in Baltimore are picking up styles that, you know, kind of, kind of internet era, you know, the kind of weird eccentric, you know, era of, of hip hop that we see on like blogs and Tumblr and stuff. Now yeah. I feel like people in Baltimore picked up on that, but the people who do those styles in Baltimore rap better than the people who are doing it in other parts of the country where like, you know, a lot of people will kind of do these odd noisy beats or whatever, and they don't really care about the quality of the rapping because it's an aesthetic thing. Uh, where in Baltimore, it's like you, I feel like when someone does something strange, they put good rapping to it. They're not just fucking around. So that's one thing to me these days that excites me is seeing someone do something that's, you know, non-commercial, but they're not half-assing the, the, the rhymes, which is, I feel like you don't necessarily get that all the time. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that. I think some people, um, I guess, mask their lack of uh, lyrical ability by it's different or, you know, the type of beat that it is or some quirky sound or something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting time in hip-hop because, again, you know, there's, there's so many things going on regionally and just, like, just people people getting famous doing some pretty unusual stuff. Which I think is great, but at the same time, you know, uh, you don't want to just be different for the sake of being different, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, since since you've been doing this for so long, um, I <laughs> I can't help but ask uh, your uh, about your collection of um of Baltimore music. Um, how much uh, do you think you have right now at this point of CDs or vinyl or whatever else? Man, if I if I had my my other computer fired up that had my library on it. I could probably give you like an exact number, but I know that for a while I was really good about kind of keeping my library organized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for two or five years where people were kind of sending me CDs and giving me CDs on a regular basis. So I had a gigantic, uh, like hundreds of just CDs of people by people in the city. Uh, now it's kind of, I kind of bowled it down a little bit and kind of, kept the, the, the stuff I really like or that I really want to kind of remember and have a memento of. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, now it's a little more ephemeral because I like, I love streaming. I love not having to, you know, even 
download a file now to listen to something. Uh, but it definitely it makes things more ephemeral, and so you don't have the collection. So yeah, it's like it's not the last five years are not the same as like the ten years before that, where I had like all these discs and all these MP3s and all these whatever. But I still have like hundreds of hours of club music on my iPod just because that's kind of my resource. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's funny because we were just talking about that um, <laughs> before uh, you got on the call. Um, well, I was going to mention that actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just calling Sengar a Luddite because um, he was talking about uh, a Memphis Bleak album that he wanted to listen to, <laughs> but he didn't have it on his hard drive. And I was just like, you're such a Luddite. Like, they're streaming now. <laughs> But um, I guess there is something to, you know, having something. Um, and it's funny because, like, a little while ago, you, uh, uh, he was sending me links to, um, I guess, uh, vinyl from Baltimore and, like, you uh-huh. know, rare vinyl pressings. And I was wondering if you had that as part of your collection as well. No, I've always, it's it's something I always procrastinate about is, and I think I might have to really do it this year, is just get a good turntable because my old mm. turntable broke. Uh, and really just get into that again. Because when I was younger, I bought vinyl pretty regularly, and I just haven't done that in a few years. But I like I moved into a house last year, and so I have a little more space. And I'm like, yeah, I should have kind of a music room, have have space for records. That's dope. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel you. And I've been procrastinating on the same thing. Um, I guess, too, with your... Um, because you were talking about how, like... Um, how you've kind of whittled things down into your favorites and the things that you want to remember. And that kind of made me think about, you know, your style, like on government names, when you would review certain things. Um, you know, one thing that I always appreciated is how honest you were um, about, you know, the music that you heard and you would just point blank, just kind of say what you liked about it, what you didn't, mm-hmm. if you liked it at all or not. And, um, you know, how people might react to that. Um, and, you know, I feel like a lot of times journalists now, they kind of um, kind of sugarcoat or gloss over things like that. Um, would you say that that's part of your style or, um, yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's one of those things where people will tell me I'm being brutally honest. And I'm like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, you don't necessarily want to get a pat on the back for doing something everyone should do. But unfortunately, I feel like in... It, there's this weird paradox where the further down you get into covering independent artists or regional artists or local artists or, you know, people, you know, if you're, if you're one of the few people writing about music, who's not writing about just popular stuff or writing about the critically acclaimed stuff, but you're writing about, you know, just stuff that lands in your inbox or people you see in a club or whatever. Uh, there becomes this thing where, you know, you're writing about these small people, not necessarily people who are, they might be really interesting, but you know, they're not making masterpieces. They're kind of working their stuff out on an independent level. But the people that write about that stuff tend to just get so enthusiastic and hyperbolic. And it's great to have enthusiasm for what you're writing about. But a lot of times you kind of get people in independent music press who are just kind of like, they're just trying so hard to get people interested, which I get because mm-hmm. it's hard to get people interested in obscure stuff. But, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying so hard that sometimes they're just sugarcoating everything and they're making everything sound great. And then you press play and it is not what they're saying it is. So to me, it's like, you know, the last thing I want to do is, you know, sell the, sell anyone on something that they wouldn't enjoy. Uh, right. And, you know, obviously, 
that's, you know, there are going to be times when you rave about something and you're honest and someone hates it anyway. You can't control that. But at the same time, like, I want to, I want to go to bat for the things that I feel strongly about. And so I feel like it is one of those things where if you see me give 10 kind of so-so or negative reviews and then I say, okay, this is the one, this I feel great about, it matters. Uh, so, so I feel like that's, that's something that, I, you know, you just want to, control your tone and be honest with people because they're, you know, it's like if, if, if you, if your friend is telling you everything's great every week and half the things they tell you is great. So, you know, you're going to stop listening to their opinion. So with a critic, I feel it's the same thing. Mm. Well, yeah. You know, I remember, an, uh, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, you know, another example of you being brutally on, um, honest recently um, was when uh, how you were um, you were called out with you know several other critics several other critics um, by Chuck D on yeah. Uh, oh yeah yeah on um, kind of panning uh, the latest Public Enemy album and then I noticed no, no, that no. Um, it's well you have it a little backwards but oh okay <laughs> yeah so oh, basically, oh, I do oh explain it okay so basically what happened was um, uh, I I write for Rolling Stone now and again and, and uh, have friends over there who edit it. Um, so basically, you know, in December at the uh, end of the year when they did all their like top albums of the year, there was like a top 40 albums of 2014. And it was, you know, to me, I think it was a pretty diverse list. Like if you look at it, it was kind of like covering the whole gamut of like, you know, mainstream, underground, old fashioned, new school kind of like, you know, the whole, it, to me, it was a very well-rounded list. I didn't—I don't like everything on the list, but I wrote like one or two blurbs on it. Um, but to me, it was like it was—it was a pretty well-rounded list of like. But but uh, Chuck D like called out, and because Chuck D kind of knows the editor Chris Weingarten, who wrote the uh, thirty-three and a third book on a public any album, mm. uh, he kind of but he oh. but he went on and he's like named all the bylines of the people in the article aaron dolan drake gear reeves sergeant shipley weiss so he like kind of named he threw my last name in with all these other people it's like gotta stop picking from a low bar just to appear hip to teens and i mean like half the things on the list are not you know chart father kind of rap albums you know like there was the stuff on there that i can totally understand someone like chuck d hating but you know there was also stuff on there like run the jewels or whatever that you know Stuff that's probably pretty close to, you know, Chuck D's creative legacy or whatever. Uh, mm. But I kind of called back to this recently when I wrote about the new Public Enemy album. Because I was like, you know, I wish that this guy calling me out was right. And like, oh, you know, this is this list is bullshit and Public Enemy is the real shit. Because, you know, Public Enemy was great. But, man, the new album's just depressing. <laughs> it's, just, it's not so good. And I mean, like, it's one of those things uh, where, you know, the dude is 55. Right. And you can't name a major rapper who is 55 yet who's making albums. Like, you know, and probably like Melly Mel or someone's older than him, but he's not making albums still. Like, it's uncharted territory. So I don't fault him for, you know, being out of touch or anything. I wouldn't even call it that. Because I think it's great that he's involved and he's doing internet radio and he cares about the genre and he's talking to people. But at the same time, like, you know, stuff like stuff on the, that we have on the list, like Vince Staples to me is like good, smart, politically active hip hop. And 
he just wrote off the entire list and all 40 albums on it. I'm like, that's on him. Mm. Mm. Well, no, it's funny because I, I turned on the new public enemy album, um, on Spotify and (laughs) I, um, I really meant to listen to it. And, um, I just couldn't for some reason. <laughs> but now that you have said, you know, what you said about it, now I, I just have to listen to it more. So I guess, <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know. I don't know who these guys are that produced it because, I mean, like, and I don't know, maybe maybe if Terminator X was still in the group, maybe he would have lost his touch too and it wouldn't have mattered. But, I mean, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be curious to hear what the people who produced the original Public Enemy albums would be doing right now. Because I don't really care about what Chuck and Flavor Flavor are doing with these new guys. It's just not the same stuff, you know. Well, I, I thought I thought um, I thought Keith Shockley and you know the rest of the Bomb Squad were still producing albums with them. They all on it? I don't know. I was just looking at some of the liner notes and I was like, didn't seem like they had everybody back on it. But uh, maybe I misread the liner notes. That goes back to um, that article I just sent you earlier. Um, thank God. Um, I think it was on Uncut. Um, and it was um, just because you use 90s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like just because you use 90s drum machines doesn't mean that you're about to bring back the 90s. Yeah. And and like um, it talked about uh, you know how 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 different people were able to kind of develop their style and embrace new technology. And even if they didn't, their their sound wouldn't necessarily sound the same. And it's all a matter of, you know, how a particular producer grows through the eras, you know, no matter what they're using or whatever. And some people just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because it's it's almost Pavlovian to the point where, like, people will just respond to certain sounds. Like when, uh, I don't know if you heard the Young Thug record that came out a couple of weeks ago, Pacifier. But it's like, it's got, it's not really retro, but it has, like, sampled snare drum sounds. It sounds almost kind of jazzy. It has almost like a 90s drum sound to it and i was like i know immediately that this person and this person who don't love a lot of young thug records are going to love this one and it's mm. a cool record i like it but at the same time it's kind of like it's so predictable sometimes that all you have to do is kind of like throw a certain you know sound of the mix and people are like okay we like this it's it's really i mean like a lot of listenerships are very predictable uh and you know there's nothing wrong with that but at the same time it's a little silly because you know, people are trying to say they're more sophisticated and they like the 90s yeah. stuff because of the quality or something, but it's also just very, very easy to predict aesthetic choices, too. Oh, man, that's uh, that's really interesting because um, I was just having a conversation with a guy um, this weekend, and um, he's dropping an album really soon, and I was letting him hear some of my music, um, you know, some of the newer stuff I've been working on, and... Um, you know, he's kind of come into this whole new thing of, he used to be kind of like a weird type of rapper, but he's like, you know, he moved down south. He's like, oh, I've kind of found myself. This is what you have to do to get this money. So now when I'm listening to, or or when he's listening to, uh, some of my records, he was like, oh yeah, that's dope, but you got to throw this type of thing in there because that's what's going to get people to listen to it or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, what you just said about, the listenership being so predictable, it's like, I know that it's that predictable. And it's like, do you want to, um, exploit that 
and not necessarily be true to your art or just do it and try to work around it some type of way. So that's kind of the thing I'm dealing with now. But it's like, it's really interesting how you said that um, the listenership is predictable because that makes it kind of depressing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's one of these things too where it doesn't make the music bad. And, you know, obviously when there's kind of an air of cynicism to a choice, it's just, you know, when people tell you that they don't even like what they're doing, but they're doing it because they know it'll be popular. That's obnoxious. But I, th- I think there's a middle ground where, you know, you can, you can make gestures that hook people. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's, it, it, it can bum you out if you think of it as like this A, B choice of, you know, either, either, you know, do the predictable thing that gets people attention or don't be ignored or whatever. Uh, you know, being, being true to yourself can really connect with people too. So. Yeah. And I was always saying like, um, you know, people always talk about, I guess, the trap sound and, you know, a certain sound is very prevalent in the music now. But at the same time, when you look at it, I would say that the top five artists of the past year or two, I would say Drake, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Meek Mill and Big Sean. And that sound doesn't necessarily permeate through any of well, I guess Meek Mill to a degree, but mm-hmm. Um, that particular sound doesn't permeate through, you know, their music. Um, so, like, even though you have a certain, you know, listenership that is looking for a certain thing, these people who are reaching a wider audience aren't necessarily doing that. Yeah, I, I went on a, a rant on Twitter about this a few weeks ago about the fact that there is that schism of, like, there's, it's almost like, uh, if you know the term like album oriented rock music, where it's like in the seventies, yeah. there was like there were like the bands that had top forty hits, like the Carpenters or whatever, uh, and then there were Pink Floyd or whatever, where it's like they didn't really have a ton of hit singles, but there were all these stations that could play like every song off their album. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's it's not quite the same way now, but it's getting there a little bit because you have you know the biggest selling albums of the past few months, again like J Cole and Drake, and even the Drake mixtape. Uh, biggest selling record of the last few months, but it doesn't really have like huge heavy rotation songs like his albums did. Uh, and a lot of other, you know, records like the Kendrick records, same thing where it's like, you know, the albums that are selling are not the ones that are getting hit singles. And I pointed out recently that basically like, you know, Atlanta still kind of runs rap music in terms of, you know, you know, you see so many stars coming out you see, you see the influence of Gucci man. You, you see, Young Thug and, and, and all these, and Race Remmerd, all these guys that are on the radio constantly. But, you know, we haven't, there hasn't been anyone in Atlanta having like even a gold album since Two Chains in 2012. Mm. And nobody in Atlanta's had a platinum album since like T.I. and Jeezy in 2008. Mm. Uh, so, in terms of units, you know, no one in Atlanta sells albums like that. Uh, mm. Even if you turn on the radio and you're going to hear someone from Atlanta on the radio, you know, guaranteed, it, you know, you play it for one five minutes. Uh, so it's one of those things where it's it's interesting because you know you got to have this very steady supply of kind of medium stars who don't quite get that huge level that you know Ti used to be or whatever. Right. Uh, and yeah, and and but you know you still have and obviously guys like Drake and Big Sean and Meek still are still kind of engaged with that world and and. And you know, you know, they collaborate with guys like Future or whatever. And Future's still pretty big, but again, Future's never had a gold album as omnipresent as he is. 
maybe this one yeah. will go gold, but you know, remains to be seen. Uh, so it's, you know, it's 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 a weird schism, and it's kind of happening all over. Where I feel like you know, there's always been all these different audiences who compute, consume music differently, but now it's really clear that like you know there are these, you know, you know the trap rappers who can, you know, really they they'll put out three mixtapes a year and they'll download huge numbers and they make money off of it, but it's not like people are buying it. That's not how the revenue stream works. They're rich, but it's not because they're getting royalties from, you know, Interscope or whatever. Uh, yeah. uh, and then you look at guys like J. Cole or wherever, where they don't make mixtapes. They just make an album every couple of years, and the audience shows up for it, whether there's a radio song on it or not. So it's interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird divide. Yeah, yeah it's very interesting. Um, you know, uh, one of I think uh, one of our earlier themes uh, throughout this podcast has been about this type of um this type of thing that's, that has been going on especially with um i think we we launched the podcast with within the midst of uh kendrick lamar's album or kind of around yeah. that time and mm-hmm. um one of the things that we always talked about was how you know kendrick lamar is getting like all this press throughout all these various blogs and breaking you know spotify records and so on and so forth but you know if you go back you know into certain areas you know throughout baltimore or whatever like that you know there are people who don't really know who he is um, you know, the same thing goes for J. Cole and how he, you know, how you said he can make a gold a gold album, you know, make a lot of money and have people um, sitting on the top of uh, sitting on the rooftop of his home, his home, yeah. uh, home, home, his childhood yeah. home. And, you know, a lot of people don't know who he is, but they know who Young Thug is or they know who Action Bronson is or they know who Ghostface is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's weird. It's it's interesting to me because, and I mean, like today's Tuesday, and every Tuesday now it used to be Thursday uh, the Billboard put up the new charts, but now it's Tuesday, and so I'll log on and I'll look at because I'm interested in just the radio charts and see where things are going. Like people keep talking about how because I did okay at the radio, King Kunta kind of came and went, so I'm very interested to see like with the Kendrick record, like all right, great record, and it it went up one spot this week on the radio chart, it went from 29 to 28. Uh, and I'm like, I'm rooting for that record. It's a great song. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, and then, you, you know, you look above it and you see Ray Remmer and you see, you know, all this other stuff. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how All Right does, because that's obviously, like, a very radio-friendly record in the context of the Kendrick album, but not necessarily the most radio-friendly thing on the charts in general. Um, but people obviously love that song and has a movement. The video did great, so you know it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is, um, I think what have I? I've been so busy, I haven't had a chance to like really look at things recently. But I saw something recently about how there was some protest that was going on, and the police came or something like that, and they were arresting everybody. Yeah, and the protesters actually started singing that song. Yeah, I, I watched <laughs> that footage when it when it went up the other day. And uh, and I mean, like, and I was telling someone about it I wrote recently, where because like. The first time I heard that song out, like outside of the context of the album, was the night they lifted the curfew in Baltimore, and I went out and looked. Wow. Uh, I think at the windup space that came out of dropped that record, and it sounded, you know, obviously sounded amazing in that context that night. You know, kind of hear, to hear that kind of song. Uh, so to me, I have a memory attached to that song with that now too. Wow. Um. I guess. You know, I guess, you know, given this conversation, 
Um, if you were to classify your general taste, if you could, in hip-hop, what would they kind of lean towards? I mean, I'm definitely, you know, more... To me, I like... Because I grew up loving, you know... I kind of... I love Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul, and I also, you know, kind of growing up and, you know, being a teenager and, like, Bad Boy era and the early Rockefeller era. So, I mean... Mm -hmm. I, you know, kind of grew up when, when there was so much great New York stuff going on and the south, Southern stuff was starting to happen. And and it's just been great, like, the last 20 years to just kind of see this explosion of variety where, you know, you don't really have to, again, it's, you know, I feel like we're kind of post-regional now where, you know, there are people that only listen to one kind of music, but it's very easy to like it all or like yeah. a lot of it. So, so, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm just, I get excited about what's going on now. But obviously, there's a lot of stuff in the past that still sounds great. Yeah, because um, I was just thinking, because you mentioned Ray Schremert, or however you uh, pronounce it. <laughs> um, and it's like, to me, um, I guess there's a part of me that's, you know, just straight 90s, boom, bap, lyrical, miracle type stuff. And that part of me wants to hate it, but then there's a part of me that went to Howard University and was in those house parties and saw everything that was going down. And um, it was just like, you know, those songs are catchy and they're great and they're very well put together. And it's like, I can, yeah, I can I mean, say that I like their songs. Yeah, those kids made like, they made a Greatest Hits album on their first try. They have like four singles <laughs> off of that thing. No one yeah. does that anymore. Like other than Nicki, they're the only people with that many songs already off of one album. Uh, so they did something right now. I mean, it's a fun album. I really think, you know, they did a great job. And it's, and it's one of those things where they kind of brought that off-the-wall energy. And, you know, I feel like, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, when, when kids come out, and especially out of Atlanta, and they have, like, the kind of crazy voices and the really goofy punchlines and the kind of weird melodies and the hooks uh, like, like Ray Sremer does and like Young Thug and some of these other guys do, you know, the the kind of classic hip-hop fans tend to hate that, but it's like, if you actually look back at the 80s and the kind of really aggressive early 808 stuff, and, like, it, it's always been about that. It's always been about having having some crazy drums and a weird voice and saying something off the wall. Like, a lot of 80s and, not, and early 90s hip-hop to me is, like, people really having a sense of humor about things, and you know, being willing to just kind of let it, let it all hang out and be kind of weird and, and, and even flamboyant about it. And just, you know, just the colors people are wearing and just the voices and the sounds. So yeah. even if something like Race Rumor is not old school, to me it's not really that far from the spirit of what rap has been doing for a long time. And, and sometimes I feel like people miss the point of that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's fun music, you know? Yeah. You know, when it comes to hip hop, um, and you know, we, we've uh, we've uh, talked about this before in the podcast about um, re reinvention in hip hop and how it seems as if it's becoming um, more more of a thing now. You know, with artists like MF Doom and uh, um, what's his name, uh, uh, Butterfly from uh, Diggable Planets. Yeah, uh, yeah, making Shabazz palaces and. Uh, Juicy J coming back and becoming um, more relevant to a younger audience. Um, what do even you think run the about, jewels. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. Even run the jewels and stuff like that. So do you think um, reinvention is becoming even like more of a more of a relevant thing in hip-hop today? 
Yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like it's one of those things where, yeah, you get these interesting second chapters. I mean, even when you think about, like, Cool Keith, which was, you know, his solo career kicked off a long time ago, but, like, the Dr. Octagon th- stuff kind of happened years after, you know, his original group came out and came and went. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's just a lot of interesting, especially because hip-hop is so fickle and you kind of get people stuck to one movement and then they just kind of get played off and, and ignored for the rest of their career. Uh, and obviously a lot of artists kind of kind of get stuck in one way of doing things. And But all these people that have these resurgences, I think it's because they were flexible and they said, okay, well, that, that wasn't working. Let's try something else. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, there are a lot of people like, you know, I feel like T-Pain is going to have a, you know, resurgence at some point just because he's so talented and, and, you know, it's like, you know, look at even like what what happened with Pharrell where it's like, he never really went away away. He was always in the industry, but you know, there were five years where he was not having hits like he used to. And then suddenly he just came back bigger than ever. Uh, so there's things like that where sometimes, you know, someone doesn't have to necessarily change. They just kind of get on a nice run or he adds things like, like run the jewels or something where, you know, it's like, it's pretty different from what killer Mike came out with originally. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I love seeing that kind of thing. I, and, uh, and, you know, even things like, you know, CeeLo just kind of, you know, came out as a singer and a lot of people thought a lot, a lot of different ways to kind of keep your career going. I think one way is to just get better, and I always think about Swiss Beats and how horrible his uh, production used to be. <laughs> and a lot of those songs were hits, but now when you hear a Swiss Beats track, it's like, okay, this is actually decent, and the bass line actually goes along with the melody. Yeah, I mean, there was a point where I think you know people realized after he'd been making hits for 10 years that he had something going on, and that he actually, I think it's like, obviously some of the early stuff, it really had... He had like kind of the the cheapest preset kind of sound on it, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, you know, like stuff like Rough Riders Anthem or something where you know, it was just tapping out three notes on the keyboard, but the drums were pretty, you know, well programmed. They just had kind of a cheap sound to them. Uh, but you know, it's like yeah, if you, if you can make uh, you know a three note bass line or keyboard riff or something that people want to hear over and over, that's that's as good as anything else. It's not like you need to be harmonically complex to, to make a good hip hop song. So, so there's there's you know there's so many different ways to do it. And, and yeah, Swizz I feel like was a good example of you know he actually his, his his sound did evolve. I don't feel like you know it necessarily got a whole lot more sophisticated because mm. he always kind of had these like just records that people want to go dumb to, yeah. uh, and had that kind of rowdy feel to it because he just knew how to make the drums sound kind of loose and different from everyone else's. So there's, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I kind of like when, yeah, guys like that hang around for a while and people go, and go okay, well, yeah, he's, he's not an idiot savant. He actually knows what he's doing. And, and Swiss Beats is an interesting guy. Cause it's like, he like collects art and does all this stuff that like, you know, you think of someone like Kanye or Pharrell doing, he does all that stuff too. He's, he's, he's like a pretty sophisticated guy who just happens to make club records, you know? Yeah, the thing that interested me about him is that um, actually he, I think he went to some special Harvard business school for people who are already millionaires or something like that. And he oh, like lived in dorms and like got his college experience and he's getting some type of like special MBA for people who are like already masters in business or something like that. And he said he was, um, I think, on the lower rung of, you know, the types of people who attend that 
um, that particular school at Harvard. So, you know, I guess people will surprise you, especially, you know, coming from, I guess, Rufus Anthem, he was probably in his teens when he made yeah, that. Yeah, I think he was like 17 or something. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, you know, related to the people who owned the label. So I think people were just kind of like, yeah, they're just letting this kid do some beats. But, you know, those were the tracks that, you know, got bigger than like even the Dame Grease beats or whatever. So there was something to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess since we're talking about things that are going on now, um, it's funny because um, I was just looking online and I see Meek Mill has just uh, responded again to uh, to Drake with the new um, a new freestyle that he just spit acapella. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole Drake uh, Meek Mill situation? I mean, to me, it's just depressing because you know it's like because <laughs> you know it's like you know Meek. I think you know he makes great music, you know, and it's one of these things where he to me is such a throwback to you know he's like kind of comes from this kind of state property lineage of like you know rappers like him don't really make it in the industry anymore. So right. someone like him to have a number one album and to be pretty relevant in 2015 when everyone else is Drake and J. Cole and Big Sean and, you know, kind of different, you know, not, not really this kind of East Coast aggressive rap, to me I thought it was great. So it's just, you know, to see him have this great moment earlier in the summer and didn't turn into this whole embarrassing thing with Drake is just, it's just a bummer. Because, I mean, everyone's like, oh, his career's completely over. I don't know if that's true, but it's definitely it's definitely chinking his armor. It's not, it's not great for him. So... And, you know, it's, it definitely feels pretty one-sided right now just because Drake kind of knew how to handle it and kind of beat him into submission, and he's just kind of not really coming at it the right way, so. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um I think that Meek had everything that he needed to, like, like if he would have come with a strong track when he was supposed to, he could have, like, straight demolished it. But um, I think... You know, people like me, like I, 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 like I listened to Hot 97 that Monday when uh, he was supposed to drop the song and oh, the song gosh. didn't come. And I sat there and I listened and I was like, oh yeah, this is just like, you know, when I was in middle school when I was trying to hear something and then it just didn't come and it just like, it was just like, oh, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that pissed people off the most. Oh yeah, no one wanted to listen to Funk Flex all night. <laughs> that pissed everyone off. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, I hope he uh, he comes back because um, it's you know to me it's nice to see you know this kind of competitive type of thing that's not completely subliminal. Um, and um, you know the thing with Drake is funny and all that, but um, I do think that. Meek has a certain point when it comes to the ghostwriting aspect of it mm-hmm. because um, a lot of people, they'll say, well, you don't know the music business and all this and that, but it's like there's a difference, to me at least, there's a difference between the music business and the rap business. And if you're supposed to be, you know, one of the greats going forward, you know, you have to answer to exactly what was going on with that whole ghostwriting thing. So I was yeah. curious to your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird because, I mean, you kind of know that, you know, there's certain people like, like Kanye where it's kind of he has all, you know, he had all day with all these, you know, Lupe and Kendrick had writing credits on, and then you got the reference track with Kendrick 
saying some of the same lines as him on it. Like people yeah. know Kanye does that, and Kanye's a producer, and it's kind of it's a different deal. Uh, where you know Drake is you know presents himself much more as like he was always even if he was kind of the pop star rapper, he was always just big on punchlines, and you know he was giving lines to whoever and and writing stuff with Wayne or whatever. So he was always presented that way, and I don't think people really doubt that he can sit down and write a 16 by himself or whatever. But it's it's just funny because, yeah, it's like you just wonder, you know, especially because, you know, he got all these writing credits with this Quentin Miller guy on the mixtape. They dropped out of nowhere when people weren't even really expecting it. Yeah. Like, like, why are you just making more music than anyone really needs <laughs> and getting help? You know what I mean? Like, you know... You know, it's like he, you know, it's it's cool that he kind of has changed things up and just throws songs out on SoundCloud and they become hits and stuff. But it's like, you know, you know, it's like it's just a weird thing where it's like, you know, you know, it's one thing if you write that much and you just have the music, but if you're just like, you know, getting help just so you can stay ahead that much, it's kind of silly. Uh, so that that part of it was kind of weird to me. Um, but and 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 also it's just like things like. You know, you, you think about what Drake has done that people love in the last few months, and then you listen to the reference track, and someone else is saying, running through the six with my woes, and that's like the big thing people are about right now. It's kind of like, I mean, if this guy's coming up with like the big hooks that people love, that's not a small thing. Like, if he's just, if he was just feeding him just a few throwaway lines that people don't really remember, that'd be one thing, but it's like, that's the big thing people remember from that album. So it's kind of like, yeah. that does raise my eyebrow a little bit, where it's like, if he's if he's given Drake hook ideas, and Drake is you know supposed to be this guy who never runs out of hooks and always has all these catchy things that people like, that to me I, I was a little surprised by, mm. and just the fact that you know like he had you know Quentin Miller had some writing credits on there, but then like the actual song that Meek was mad about Rico, there's a reference track for that with this guy, but he doesn't have any credit on Meek's song, so it's kind of like yeah, it's a weird inconsistent that. thing. It kind of raises your eyebrows, so. Yeah, you know that that Rico verse to me. Well, to, we've we've had a conversation about this. I thought the Rico track was well, the Drake verse was just horrible. Yeah, and you could and you could tell that he didn't write it. But <laughs> the the scary thing about I think what would make Drake what what makes Drake so scary is the fact that he can come out with two songs about some type of relationship, just you know, totally aimed toward the female demographic, but then within the same day he'll just like another bundle another song to like to this bundle of songs about meek mill that's really <laughs> subliminal then the next day he drops uh drops another song that just kills meek mill and it just makes him really scary because with these at least with these this songs you can pretty much tell that he wrote them compared to his ricos and all this other stuff like the the, the thing with skepta that he came out with uh some some weeks ago or oh, whatever yeah, else uh, like that this kid from nigeria yeah, I don't think he wrote that one. Yeah, I didn't listen to that one. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me because, again, it's like I think he, you know, he he, he made it his own to some extent where it's like I, I, I never, you know, just just hearing the, the verse verses. I was like, oh, you know, that's a Drake verse. It's okay. It's whatever. Uh, but, you know, I, there was no point where I was like, oh, this sounds like it was written by someone else until it got brought up that way. So, and it's hard to say. I mean, we can speculate, I guess, which which stuff is uh, written or not. But um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's a strange situation because you know there's so much you don't know. 
Yeah, I guess yeah. he's kind of pushing an uh, asterisk next to his name. And uh, like, I don't know what just came to me. Um, I don't know if you remember when uh, Lord Superb was talking about he wrote all this stuff for Supreme Clientele. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and then, you know, Ghostface was just saying, like, well, you know, we were all in the studio vibe and then he might have thrown a line out here and there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he wrote the whole verses. But, you know, I guess because of Ghostface's legacy, we just take that as face value. Uh, I mean, he's in my top five rappers, but um, I take it as face value, you know, that Lord Superb was wilding. But then if some reference tracks were to come out, you know, that would hurt my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is I seriously doubt that anyone handed him 16 bars of pre-written stuff like, you know, definitely seems more believable that, yeah, it was like people were vibing in the studio and said, yeah, say this, because especially someone like Ghostface, you know, his whole thing is there's all these details and words and phrases, you know, unique things in his verses. So it's kind of like you can totally see where, you know, he's sitting there trying to think of the right adjective, the right noun to throw in there. And so he's like, ah, say mm-hmm. this. Uh, so that, you know, makes sense to me. And you know, I'm sure, sure Wu-Tang in general was like that. But, well, um, you know, uh, you know what's on. interesting about um, about that is that I'm currently I'm reading um, the the Wu Tang Clan and, and RZA the journey into the Thirty Six Chamber. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name right now, but um, he was talking about um, he, he he goes to pretty much like the um, how damn near every solo Wu Tang um, album was created, and he talks about Cuban links and he talks about heaven and hell. And how um, a, supposedly Raekwon is credited with, with, with writing that song, and Ghostface wasn't credited at all with um, even adding anything to Heaven and Hell. Yeah, there was actually on Twitter there was a conversation the other day where someone basically brought that up and was like, "Oh, there was a whole song where you know Raekwon wrote Ghostface's verse," and people were like, "That's not the same thing at all," because <laughs> especially like with a back and forth <laughs> verse, you know it's. You know, you know, like when I listen to Jada Kiss and Styles P go back and forth, I was or something, thinking that too. I'm not thinking. <laughs> mm. I'm not thinking they sat spontaneous and like I say this and you say this. I think probably one of them kind of took the lead because it's very hard to coordinate that stuff that well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I kind of you know, it's one of those things where it's apples and oranges, but people are suddenly getting all over the place with it. Like Meek did this record, uh, uh, "Fuck You Mean" last year with uh, Boozy. And it was produced by uh, Jay Oliver from Baltimore. And, yeah, and last night, someone threw up uh, this video where it's like Jay Oliver probably from Instagram or something doing the chorus because he wrote the chorus. And then people like, so they show this video, Jay Oliver doing the chorus, and they show Meek uh, doing the chorus. It's like, yeah, the producer wrote the chorus. It's not the same as writing the verse. <laughs> people are yeah. trying to play gotcha with Meek because of all this stuff. But it's like apples and oranges. And it's just people are just grasping at straws. Yeah. Mm. Did you ever rap? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like anyone who listens to enough rap, you definitely get ideas of like, oh, it'd be, be hot to say this, come up with a couple of hot lines or something. But I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, you know, if you have real respect for an art form, you either would want to do it so much that you actually make the effort to do it, or you're just kind of like, yeah, I'll leave this to the people that are good at it. Because yeah. I, 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 like, I like doing, I like making beats, I like making music, I like playing drums and instruments and stuff but yeah i don't really get into that um uh what do you think of uh, t- uh what do you what did you think of losis album 
I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it's interesting that uh, he kind of, you know, obviously left the Bad Boy deal, got with RCA, and then RCA just kind of basically kind of put out a retail mixtape with no promo just to kind of, I guess, see what, what he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was pretty cool that he just kind of got to put it now Mountain Stores, and uh, even though obviously he's not kind of at that level where he's like really a major label, you know, album kind of deal yet. So it was cool they got to do that and like had R. Kelly and puffy on and all this stuff so that was cool i mean there were a few songs on there where i was like yeah this is this is really what he what he should be working toward because you know obviously he's just super talented guy uh but at the same time it's like none of his none of his mixtapes is like a masterpiece or anything uh so it was but it was cool to see him kind of put put together some of the uh some of the things that i think he he should be doing as far as just kind of like having having some topics and ideas in his in his records and not just going crazy with the rhyme schemes or whatever yeah and you know um you know what's interesting about the baltimore scene also is that um uh, musically um a lot of attention has been uh thrown toward you know the the uh the indie rock scene with the animal collectives and the beach houses and you know the wind-up spaces um as opposed to you know the maybe the five seasons and the I mean, any other uh, rapper coming out coming out of Baltimore. So I was curious to um, to know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. I was ranting about this the other day because there was this there's this pretty good um, uh, op-ed in Pitchfork last week by uh, Jenna Hunter, who's in this band Lower Dens, and she's she's kind of uh, similar cases to a lot of people. Where in the last ten years she moved to Baltimore. I think she was from Texas originally. But you look at uh, a lot of guys like uh, Dan Deacon of Future Islands where they mm-hmm. kind of came from somewhere else, moved to Baltimore and kind of set up shop here because it's a you know great kind of cheap place to live and make music. And then they kind of became part of the scene here and got nationally known. And that's kind of what Baltimore's known for now is a lot of these indie acts. Uh, and then this, this piece was kind of lamenting that, you know, it's a majority black city and we don't have a lot of, you know, well-known national stars from that side of the scene. A lot of it's the indie bands. And I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, Pitchfork and, and a lot of these outlets are obviously, you know, uh, interested in these bands. And it's, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, with uh, with rap where it's, 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 it's very difficult to kick the door open. And it's, it's, it's funny because people in Baltimore still get hung up on the idea of like, oh, you know, you get one rapper on and it'll be like Houston where everyone gets high at the same time. Um, and I don't feel like rap is regional like that anymore. You know, you, you see where it's like, you get a big star from Toronto, you get a big star from Detroit or whatever, and it kind of helps the city, but it's not, it's not like people look at cities that way anymore. Yeah. You know, there are places like Atlanta that are still kind of a, a big, big, uh, big area for, for kind of having a lot of like-minded artists. Chicago still a little like that, but I feel like Baltimore is interesting because, you know, you get, you get, pretty different people working alongside each other in school. Cause like King Los is a certain kind of artist and he's thriving. That's great. But, and right now you have, you know, young moose and, uh, and some of these other guys doing well and, and test is, is signed with future and, uh, Tate Cobang just got signed with 300. So it's like, yeah. and these are all fairly different guys. Uh, so to me, it's exciting to see people who represent different sides of the scene getting out there and doing something. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Because uh, again, I feel like it's it's a very different world than like ten years ago when when Boss Man and Molly Man and, and those guys were popping. So, mm-hmm. you know the thing about um 
at least well at least from from what I've noticed and I haven't really been paying that much attention to it but you know with the um, you know the forming of like Wham City and um, stuff like that at least um, within the indie scene it always seemed to me as if um, the indie scene was a bit more cohesive compared to to uh, to the Baltimore rap scene that would that's always seemed kind of you know kind of spotty and you have these different types of factions going on. So, uh, um, so do you think maybe uh, that this kind of idea of being uh, forming collectives within the indie scene in Baltimore helped um, with them getting more noticed? Oh, hugely. Yeah, there was a whole power numbers thing, especially because like there were shows like kind of round robin shows where they would kind of like each person would do a song. They kind of go around the room. Uh, that that was one of the big things that came came up with Wayne City a few years ago, uh, and it was cool because you know you could go to these shows and you would hear like ten different acts, and none of them were really doing the same thing, uh, and no one felt competitive with each other. It was very, very much a kind of supportive thing of you know these people that had the same general creative spirit, but were not you know trying to be the best of this kind of band or that kind of band. Uh, where, you know, with, with rap, it's so competitive and everyone's, you know, trying to be the, the superstar or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a little less of the, the communal thing with rap, although it's like, even like with Wham City, it was interesting because um, uh, Height, who was, goes back with, with with Wham City people and has kind of been, he's been rapping in Baltimore for like 15 years and he tours, he tours all over the country, he tours Russia. He's like one of the most hardworking DIY rappers I've ever seen, uh, but he's just he's just this weird dude from Baltimore who uh, who kind of does whatever he wants, and he's not like he, it's interesting because he's just kind of he's like this white kid who who worships like Schooly D and <laughs> and all these really old school guys. Uh, so he's he's just like totally on his own path, and he did the wraparound Robin things where he kind of brought in people from different parts of the scene. So he get like Easy Jackson, um, and he got like uh, Brownfish kind of involved before uh, Ooh passed away. Mm. Uh, so it was interesting that like that was a really cool moment to, and like Kane Mayfield and some of those guys. That was an interesting moment where like you kind of got to see how the Wham City side of the DIY scene in Baltimore could connect with the rap scene and the other people that are doing rap on an independent level and are not necessarily... Because, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing underground rap in Baltimore that are completely different kinds of Baltimore rap, of, like, yeah. underground stuff. Uh, you know, there's... Because, you know, it's like... It's one of those things where, you know, to be commercial at any given time in rap kind of means one or two different things. There's a couple different ways you can become a big star. But to be uncommercial, sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. So you get a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. So that's like the round rep round robin thing. They they took it on tour in the spring. I think it did pretty well. But for a while they were just doing it in Baltimore once a year, and it's just an amazing show because you get like you know eight hip hop acts and probably five or six vastly different styles. They just kind of go around the room and everyone does a song, takes a turn. They just do go around the room like three or four times for a couple hours. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, um. Uh. Hey, are you uh, um, are you aware of heights? I'm not uh, actually. No, yeah, yeah, not. I, I am not either. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he. A lot of his records are under the name Height with Friends because he kind of built this group out where it's a bunch of other people kind of throwing in verses and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But he just did. Uh, I think his latest record is actually because his last name is Keach, 
and he really says hype Keach. Um, but he also has records that are just hype. But uh, but yeah, check him out because he's uh, he's he's again he's been rapping nonstop, like just putting out records consistently, playing shows consistently for like 15 years. But he's just so you know off the beaten path stylistically that you know people don't even really realize what he's doing. Okay, cool. Do you feel that um certain because this is one thing, like, I always feel like, you know, in Baltimore, a lot of times there's a lot of dope talent, but they don't necessarily know how to use social media to their advantage, or they don't necessarily know how to, like, I don't know, something like, like and, and like, I've been kind of out of the scene for a while, but I remember for a while, like, um, it seemed like people weren't in touch with like the blog world and things like that. And basically everything that was going on with the internet. And do you feel like, like a lot of times we don't hear about people is because, um, that aspect of hip hop hasn't necessarily hit here as much. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, a lot of people are, you know, and, and, and not, not to dismiss them, but you know, they're, they're, they're a little behind the times. Now, this is not the most media savvy city you can kind of get by without being super plugged into to, to what's going on, on the internet. Um, there's obviously you know a lot of other stuff going on in the city that can kind of keep your attention. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean it's it's definitely there was there were a few years where just people were just they'd be performing all the time in five seasons and not really putting putting any thought into how they package their music. And I mean, there are still people who just kind of put out a CD and don't even upload it to like a mixtape site. And I'm like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you at least let people hear it outside of your zip code? Uh, so, so it's 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 frustrating because again, yeah, there have been some great talents in the city who just weren't, you know, net savvy, weren't press savvy, and that was for me a lot of the fun of what I've done is, you know, being able to just kind of be open to people who don't, you know, don't know a bunch of journalists or a bunch of websites, but they know me, uh, and I'll actually write about their music and give them an honest, you know, opinion or whatever. So that's been great, but it's also, it's it's bittersweet because at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, I hear something great, but I just know that without me or somebody really giving them a big push, you know, the record's not really going to get past where it's already gotten. Um, but you know, it's, 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 you know, kind of part of, part of what, uh, what covered underground music is, is you see a lot of people that you wish, you know, were stars and, and, you know, you know, I, I remember interviewing Los 10 years ago and not knowing if he would get as far as he's gotten now. So it's exciting to see this stuff and like Tate Cobang doing what he's doing right now is exciting to me because he's been one of my favorite rappers in the city for the last two or three years. And when I started writing about him like a couple of years ago, he did not have the following he has now. And it kind of just happened very quickly this year for him. So, uh, so things like that, you know, I can't take any credit for it, but I'm just happy to see it because, you know, again, there's a lot of talent in the city and anytime someone talented gets, gets a little buzz, it's just like awesome to see. Um, but you don't really know when it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, now, with um, I've always been really curious about this with uh, government names. Mm-hmm. Um, first, how did you come to that name for the blog? 
Yeah, that was just, you know, it's funny because, and I'll, I'll go ahead and be, be rude here, uh, but it's like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of websites, like a lot of the writing-driven um, hip-hop blogs that have kind of lasted for the last few years uh, that are around, like, Pigeons and Planes and Passion of the Weiss and Mostly Junk Food have mm-hmm. the worst names. And I'm like, government names is nice and simple, and you can remember it. And I'm like, these people really just made the most complicated, jumbled names that no one wants to say out loud. Uh, so it's one of those things where I'm like, even if I didn't, you know, I haven't done a lot with government names over the years, but I was like, at least I named it well. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, to me, it's like, you know, it's just it's one of those phrases that, you know, I feel like you associate with hip-hop just because you, know, you kind of grow up here and I'm like, like, Especially when the internet, you know, you couldn't find everything on the internet super easy or you weren't on the internet yet. So you just almost kind of whisper about like, oh, you know what the rapper's government name is? You know what the real name is? Like, you know, T.I.'s name is Clifford? That's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So it's to me, it's like, it's just kind of a, it evokes that for me. Well, one of my questions for uh, years has been answered. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, I guess, uh, keeping uh, with government names, um, do you, uh, well, I mean, you, you seem really busy with, with other publications, so um, I'm just curious, um, how, how many, like, uh, I guess on average, how, how many, uh, I guess, words overall do you write within a week? Uh, it's tough to say. I remember one year... I actually counted how many words I published. I should look and see if I can find it because it was it was it was a lot. Uh, but for me, it, it fluctuates a lot. Of it's you know, especially because you 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 kind of pitch ideas to people or you wait for people to ask you to to write something. So you know, you kind of you know there there'll be a week where I don't have a lot due, and so I you know I'm not writing a lot, and then there's some some weeks where it's just like I have five things to do and I'm just kind of churning out a ton of, uh, ton of content. So, I mean, it's definitely like, I probably write a few thousand words at least every week. And sometimes it's, you know, 2000, sometimes it's 10,000 kind of fluctuates. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it sounds like a lot, but it's also, it's a lot of small pieces. It's a lot of things that are, you know, 800 words here, 500 words there kind of thing. Okay. Um, well, I, I came across an article where you uh, you talk about um, well you add you uh, you ask if Baltimore Club is dead, and I think that was from what 2009, if I'm correct. Okay, yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, and uh, and I I just want I, I was curious to know um, if you if 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 you if you really if if you still think that or do you think that it's um going I'll through a period of arrival? Oh uh, yeah, I don't I don't remember which uh, website it was. Because um, I'm actually I'm kind of the last person who tends to say that kind of thing. Like uh, might have been in a particular context or something. But you know, I mean, well, there was the you know, I remember I wrote one I think around. 06 or something where I kind of led with Dookie man saying that it's dead, but he was really talking about just kind of the, the nightlife 
and you know the way you used to be able to kind of go out and spin club music for hours and that's all anyone wanted to hear and now it's a little different where you know kind of you can a DJ can play a little club music and then they go back to hip hop and that's what people want to hear. Um, so I mean, there's definitely it's interesting again to talk to guys who've been doing that forever and been part of the music and help make it because um, they can really tell you how the scene waxed and waned and how things changed after you know certain record stores folded or certain clubs closed or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't I never like to say it's dead just because you know a there's still producers making good shit and B it's just, you know, it's, there's, it's still a very living legacy to me. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, um, about this whole, uh, Jersey club and Philly club thing? And that's interesting because again, it's like Baltimore is just this weird place where people have more talent than business savvy a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And even Baltimore club music, you know, a lot of what has happened with that genre is because, you know, a lot of times the, the, the most publicity shy people I've ever tried to track down have been Baltimore club producers because, you know, these are not rappers. These are not guys trying to be in the spotlight. They're just due to like making beats, like making music, like spinning records, uh, which is not necessarily, you know, people who are always trying to do, you know, there are, there are producers who like doing interviews and like to get their name out there, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them are just kind of, you know, just music dudes. Um, so, so obviously it's like when you have a scene that is not super, you know, and I mean, part of, part of what's cool about Baltimore club is people were doing it themselves because they didn't know any other way. And that's how the music developed the way it did. But it also means that after people made this genre of music and made this unique sound and yeah, now it's like people in Philly or Jersey, or whatever, who are a little more, you know, organized and press savvy can kind of build that scene up into something um, that's in its own way kind of more successful, um, kind of using the the blueprint that Baltimore already produced. Um, which sometimes I look at that and sometimes I just look at the Jersey Club things and I just get kind of annoyed by it because of that. But at the same time, it's like you got to, you know, people are doing what they want to do. And in a way, it just kind of is a testament to what happened to Baltimore and that it was special. Yeah, because like, sometimes I listen to it, and it's like the exact same sound, but they throw Jersey yeah. Club on it, and that, yeah. that just they, irks me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, when it's when it's really just rebranding the same thing, it's, it's a little annoying. Yeah. Like, I almost uh, want them to have a little more of a twist to it. Yeah, like, do something to make it from where you're from, like... Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's just, it's it's just really uh interesting everything that's um, I guess transpiring on the scene now. Um, do you have any favorites? I've been out of the scene so long. Do you have any um any people to look for or anything like that who are coming up now? I mean, like I said, Take Bang has been one of my favorites for a while. I like uh, I don't know, I guess it's pronounced Dwego the ninety. Uh, but his crew is really interesting. I'm trying to think who else. Um. There's this uh, group, So Nice Yesterday, that's like kind of mostly singing with a little bit of rapping. They're pretty interesting. They've been kind of catching my ear lately. Uh, but there's just, again, there's just constantly... Kane Mainfield's album that he did this year, really amazing. Um, and yeah, there's, there's been guys who've been on the scene for a long time, like him and Greenspan, who 
are making some of their best music right now. So, so that's that's been pretty cool to see. And yeah, there's a lot a lot of a lot of newer guys coming up too. Okay. Um, did you have anything else to ask then? Um, no. Nah, I think I'm pretty good over here. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, did you um, uh, Al? Did you have uh, anything else to uh to add? I don't know, man. We covered a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I, um, I do have one more question. Um, I was curious to know with um, the whole transition with the city paper and all being, oh yeah, uh, you know, changing um, ownership. Um, how has that been for you? You know, with your relationship with the city paper and everything like that. I mean, it's interesting because as a freelancer, I think people never really realize how different that is versus staff. Like, I think. If you were asking anybody who works in the office, they'd tell you a hundred things that are different. But for me, it's been uh, pretty much the same. I mean, concurrently with that change, there's been some staff changeover. So there's different editors I'm working with as opposed to who I was working with a few years ago. But you know, guys like Evan and Brandon, who are kind of running things now, um, are doing a you know great job and. You know, it was really amazing to see what's, you know, how much they stepped up with the uprising and with the protests and covering all the Freddie Gray stuff. Like, that's been exciting to see uh, and just see that spirit of the paper really, uh, especially because, you know, City Paper was doing a lot of really vital stuff in that that the Sun kind of couldn't do. Even though the Sun owns the City Paper right now, there's still a huge not only a separation and like their newsrooms are separate and they can't really influence each other. It's kind of, that's the idea, but it's also just like, there's a lot of stuff that an alt weekly can get away with that a daily paper could never get away with. So, um, so I mean, it's just, it's interesting that like, I feel like that was a great test testament to how the city paper is still the city paper is that they were able to do the coverage they did this year. Hmm. Cool. Well, um, I think that's, um, I think we're good right now to put a wrap on this. I thank you so All much right. for, um, for, uh, gracing our podcast. You're our first, yeah. um, our first guest and, uh, we really appreciate it. And I think we had a great conversation. Um, so this will probably go out the week after next. Cool. Yeah. And, um, Anytime, you know, if you have anything to say, you're always welcome here. We definitely appreciate, you know, your support over the years and everything like that. And we always, you know, I always feel a sense of um, pride whenever I see, you know, something on, con- on complex or something like that, and I see your name on, like, oh yeah, oh, <laughs> like you know, that's my yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, everything that you do and have done is definitely appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it was cool talking to you guys. I basically. I have a three-month-old baby sitting on my lap right now. This is kind of what I do. I just sit, I sit up and kind of make sure he can sleep all night so that his mom can sleep all night. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting up on the couch late anyway. So it's good yeah. to talk to you guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thanks yeah. a lot, and um, we'll be checking for you, and hopefully we we'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good night, guys. All have right. a good night. Peace out. Much Bye. So um, that concludes our interview with the great uh, Al Shipley, Channel 10 Podcast.com. Log on. I think that was really good for our first interview. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I can't complain. 
especially to have someone like uh, you know Al Shipley, who I think you know at pretty much at this point, it's uh, safe to say within the, the Baltimore's music scene is a legend or will be seen as one soon. Yeah, yeah. Looking back on everything, yeah. And you know, just looking at the progression of his career, and just um, you know, it, it's kind of funny because he has the same type of uh, quirks as we do sometimes. Like when he mentioned Doctor Octagon, I was like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I got pretty excited actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to go into the whole total orgasm thing, but I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess we'll put a wrap on this for right now. Channel10podcast.com. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you can. Tell a friend, tell a friend, all of that and all of that. Make sure you check out Audible Trial, or is it, what is it? audibletrial.com slash channel 10 get your audio book on that Ta-Nehisi Coates book is something that you definitely got to check out through there and um, I think that's all I have to say for right now alright well that's it peace out peace Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll it up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll up, yo. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, got in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network. Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace.